Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Miss Diane is very special to the Barnetts because they taught my 23-year-old daughter and 20-year-old son. She started when she was 12. And she was great. This is the, what's that? Special permit. We had, it's a work new law in Alabama. Um, This is the second in a series of our Lenten series that will carry us all the way uh, through Good Friday and Easter called 24, the final hours of Jesus. And really what we're doing is looking at the final 24 hours of Jesus's earthly life. Last week, we started off with the Last Supper, which is really kind of when it began, This morning, we talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, but I really want to rewind back to the original garden, first of all, and talk in this first segment on from Eden to wandering. Let me ask you, what is your struggle right now? I mean, everybody has a struggle they're dealing with at some point at every moment of every day. It might be kind of minor. It might be major. It could be a relational issue with someone, some conflict you have with someone, some uncertainty you have about something in the future, some physical ailment that you have. It could be an emotional one. You're despairing. You're, you're wondering how you're going to get through this anxiety-laden event, whatever it might be. What is your particular struggle right now? Now, this might seem like a sudden shift, but let me ask you all, why does Genesis 2:24 say, and they were naked and unashamed? What was that about? This is right toward the end of the creation account. And the man is alone, and God says, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll create a helpmate for him. I'll create a woman. He brings the woman to the man, and then it says, and they were naked and unashamed. Now, is that just important for us to know that they didn't have a stitch of clothing on? No. What's the point of that? The point of that is that they had nothing to be ashamed of. They were in harmony with their God, with each other, with all of creation, they were, they were in a place even, this garden of tranquility, of peace, of wholeness, of justice. Everything was as it should be, but it did not last for long, did it? They basically tried to replace God, and, and then suddenly they had to leave there because suddenly brokenness came into the world and it was no longer tranquil. It was no longer peaceful. It turned into a place of evil, of darkness, of injustice, 
of violence, of sin, of all those things that we grapple with and have to face and know about each and every day. And we've been trying to get back to the garden ever since, haven't we? Not long after that, God commissions Abraham to father the nation of Israel, and he decides to work through that particular nation to to bring his purposes down to earth. And he even liberates them from Egyptian bondage, but even then, not long after that, their brokenness shows again. They basically wander away from God. They give up on God in the form of a golden calf. They commit idolatry, and there we go again with the brokenness the sense of lack of wholeness, incompleteness. And because of that, they have to wander for 40 days in the desert. It seems like so much of life is a movement from the desert to the garden. So again, what are you struggling with right now? What are you struggling with? What is your struggle? You know what is replete in all of Scripture? This statement, don't waste your trials. Don't waste those things that you go through that are difficult even now. Why? Because God is going to get you through. No matter what it is you're facing, you're going to get back to the garden eventually. Even in this life, we know in the next. But even now, no matter how difficult it gets in the desert, you can make it back. My friend Joel Gregory, who's one of my favorite preachers, uh, at one point was a professor of Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, had a dear friend of his who was on the faculty there, a professor of evangelism and missions named Oscar Thompson. Oscar, when he was in his early, early 40s, wrote this wonderful book called Concentric Circles of Concern. It's still one of the best missional books I've ever, I've ever read. And he was really starting to get going. I mean, he was getting invited to go to all these conferences to speak. The book was selling like crazy. He was just about to really engage in a great speaking tour. He happened to go to uh, what he thought was an annual physical with his physician. Long story short, he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And here now he finds himself lying in a bed in a hospital, not doing well at all on the oncology unit. And things are not looking good at all. Uh, Dr. Gregory went to see his colleague. He was just so crestfallen to learn that here's a guy with all the promise, all the great stuff that's just about to happen in his life. He's in his early 40s, and now he's dying of cancer. And he goes into the room, and he walks up to Oscar Thompson, and he takes his hand and says, Thompson, how you doing? And Oscar looked up at Dr. Gregory, and he said, Gregory, I've been all the way to the bottom, and it's rock solid. I've been all the way to the very bottom, and it's rock solid. We can claim that in faith if we know Jesus, that no matter how deep down the desert goes, he's there. You know, counselors talk a lot. If you've ever been through a therapeutic process, which is a good thing for a lot of us to do at some point in our lives, a lot of times a counselor will say, go down into your pain. You've got to go down into your pain and face it and learn from it and journey through that dark path. That's the way to healing. And what's so amazing is that no matter how far we have to go down in whatever pain we face, no matter how far down in the desert we go, he's always there for us and reminds us of the promise that one day we will get back to the garden. He is faithfulness, has remained faithful even when we had to leave the Garden of Eden and go into the desert wilderness. And he is with us even now as we go through our deserts, which fast forwards us to Jesus in the desert right after his baptism. Can anybody help me with this? Fill in the blank. After Jesus was baptized by John the baptizer, which was a baptism of commission, signaling his beginning of his three-year ministry, he immediately goes to the desert to, be, to face what? Anybody know? Temptation. 
Now, what is the point of the temptation account? Because sometimes I don't think we understand fully the significance of that and how tempted Jesus must have been. Is it just that Jesus had three temptations thrown his way and it's like, oh, cool, he withstood it? There's more to it than that. Some people, I've heard preachers say, well, the significance of that story is that he used Scripture each time to respond. to. Well, yeah, that's fine too. But what was Jesus tempted to do? And I wish we had time to unpack it. Let me just go to the last temptation after the tempter throws a softball. First of all, turn the stone into bread. Okay, let's get a little more intense. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Okay, no, Jesus, let's just make it easy. Bow down and worship me, and I will give you all things. Now think of... If you are Jesus and you've just commissioned yourself to go about your three-year ministry on earth and you know where it's going to lead to injustice and suffering and death on the cross, what is your greatest temptation? To get out of it. (laughs) To not suffer, to circumvent all of that pain. And here the tempter says, what, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything and you can avoid that pain because you know where it's going to take you, Jesus. And you can just be that political military messiah that the the ancient Jews want you to be. That had to be tempting. That was in the desert, and Jesus withstood it. But fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what happened there. And isn't it interesting that three times he goes to pray, three temptations. He goes and prays again, and he says what? If this could pass from me, please let it pass. But no, not not my will, but yours, Father. Jesus had the strength and the compassion for you and for me to go through it, even though he knew where it was going to lead. Jesus himself experienced a desert experience there, a difficult, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But one of the great gifts that comes out of when we journey through such times is that it really can empower us to be great ministers. We've already talked about how great is his faithfulness that he's with us through it all. No matter how far down we go, it's rock solid because he's there with us. But there's one other thing that it can do. It can empower us. It can empower you and me to be better ministers, to be what Henry Nouwen calls wounded healers. We take our own wounds and reach out to others and heal their own wounds. We really become scarred servants. And when I think about that, I think about a portion of a book I read recently called The Kindness of God. It's by a guy named David Smith. And I was just kind of rifling through it. I wasn't even going to even read a chapter. But then I found a chapter that was titled, What to Say When They Burn Down Your House in Church. I thought, wow, I might read that. Interesting story about the Nigerian city of Joss. This is something that just happened two years ago. And the city of Joss is right there at that fault line in Nigeria with Muslims to the north, Christians to the south. And it's right there in the middle. I mean, it's not even a demilitarized zone by any stretch. There's just a terrible, terrible place to be. A lot of bad stuff has happened there over the last few years, as many of you know. And not long ago, the Nigerian Baptist church in that town of Jos was burned down by some Muslim extremists. And also, the pastor's church was burned down. He has a great name. His name is Pastor Sunday Gomna. Sunday is his first name. Well, they burned down Pastor Gomna's church and his house and they met the following Sunday and then Pastor Sunday got up to speak. First thing he said was this and it was written down by a missionary who was there to kind of help with the relief work. Pastor Gomna got up and said first I am grateful that no one in my church killed anyone. Now that sounds kind of strange. He went around when the tension got really big it escalated after the burning down of the church, the home and he went around to all of his Christian villagers saying do not harm the Muslims. 
Those in around here, they did not do it. Now, if we have to defend ourselves, we will. The Bible never condemns self-defense. But no, we need to reach out and love to our friends out there. Do not harm them. In fact, reach out to them. And he told the church about how many Muslims had come to him saying, Pastor, thank you so much for teaching what you teach about the love of Jesus because no one has harmed us. So he was proud of his church. First, he was grateful for that. Secondly, he said, I am grateful that they did not burn my church. And all the people in the church looked at each other, looked at him in disbelief, saying, wait, are you kidding me? Because they were having to meet now at a, at a mud-walled community center now, about a half mile from the church. But then he explained, he said, inasmuch as no church member died during this crisis, they did not burn our church. They only burned the building. We can rebuild the building, but we could not bring back to life any of our members, he said, so I'm grateful that they did not burn our church. And finally, he said, I am grateful, thirdly, that they burned down my house as well. (laughs) He said, if they had burned down your house and not my house, how would I have known how to serve you as a pastor? However, because they burned my house and all my possessions, I know what you are experiencing, and I will be able to be a better pastor to you. So I am grateful that they burned down my house as well. Can I just say, isn't it amazing that there are some people in other parts of the world that are so persecuted, that have such conflict, where it's much, 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 much harder to be a Christian, and these people live by this raw trust in Jesus. It's amazing. I'm glad they burned down my house. I'm going to be a better pastor because of it. Could you and I be that way? Could we be such scarred servants, such wounded healers? Just amazing. You know, it would be nice if we could avoid the pain, just as Jesus was tempted to avoid his pain, but we can't. But we need to trust that God can work in and through us, even in the worst of situations, not because he's with us and because we're definitely going to get through it, but because we can learn to serve others who are hurting, going through perhaps similar pains that you and I are going through. When we are in the desert, when we move out of the desert, let's reach back to the people who are still there and reach out to them. We've moved from Garden of Eden to the desert wilderness. We've moved from there, fast-forwarding, to the desert where Jesus was tempted and then the garden where Jesus was tempted to give it all up, but chose not to do that, but to go through the pain and the suffering for you and me. But we need to talk finally about the present paradise and the future garden. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and a thief reached out to him saying, please, may I be with you when you get your kingdom going? And Jesus says, truly this day you will be with me in, somebody fill in the blank, paradise. It's from a Greek word, paradiso, which means the garden. He literally said, you'll be with me in the garden, which is appropriate. You go to the very last page of the entire Bible in Revelation, and the last image of eternity is a garden, a garden without any curse, as depicted earlier when Adam and Eve fell. It's a great, great account, and I love that image of garden that keeps going and is woven throughout. But what's amazing to me is that he offers that garden to us thieves as well, (laughs) not just the man on the cross. And that should give us the power to see things through even these days when it gets difficult. We can really, it's not an escapist initiative to to close our eyes and savor, relish what it's going to be like, how good it's going to be ultimately when we get to eternity. I like the way philosopher Dallas Willard puts it. 
He says, Christian hope isn't about looking around at the state of things and trying to imagine where it's all going. It's not about trying to calculate the future from the present. It's about breathing now the fresh air of the ending, tasting the spices and sipping the wine of the feast to come, savoring how good it is. That should give us the power to press on. And hopefully it'll challenge us to be more fearless as a missional people here as we share the gospel with people, not just with our mouths, but with our hands, with our feet. And if we do that, I think we can, I'm going to quote an, a, a, a big prophet here, we will overcome living a mere sheltered life filled with fear made livable by an insulated, isolated, self-indulgent life. In other words, because of that, we can be fearless and not boring. Where did I get that quote? St. Michael J. Fox. Y'all ever heard of Michael J. Fox? Uh, Back to the Future, Family Ties. What was that show more recently? So I never watched it. Spin, Spin City. Spin City was on that too. You know that he has battled Parkinson's disease for years. And I loved, I listened to his audio book about his memoirs one time when I was driving back from Mobile, and I thought, this guy is so cool. But look at what he says here about his 10-year struggle, what at that point was a 10-year struggle with Parkinson's. He said this, coping with the relentless assault and the accumulating damage has not been easy. Nobody would ever choose to have visited this upon them, but this is the best 10 years of my life. The past 10 years has been my best, not in spite of my illness, but because of it. And then he explains, if I were to rush into this, if you, excuse me, if you were to rush into this room right now and announce that you had struck a deal in which the 10 years since my diagnosis could be magically taken away, traded in for 10 more years as the person I was before, I would, without a moment's hesitation, tell you to take a hike. I would never want to go back to that life, which for me was a sheltered, narrow existence fueled by fear and made livable by insulation, isolation, and self-indulgence. Now, Michael J. Fox, I think, is Jewish for all I know, maybe just culturally Jewish, I don't know. But wow, what a great word. How often do we as God's people fail to live the way Pastor Gumna does in Nigeria, to live fearlessly with this raw trust, realizing that he is with me through it all, that we need to trust in him as we just sang? Do we really do that? Do we really do that in our lives? Do we have that perspective that Michael J. Fox had? Don't don't, don't live this life that's insulated and isolated, full of fear and very narrow. Dare to get out there and press it. Get after that life of faith and bring the gospel to people in fearless fashion. And never give up with it. Uh, One of my heroes when I was a kid was Reverend J.V. Bottoms. He was pastor of a historically African-American church in in downtown Louisville. He was a good friend of my father's. They marched with Dr. King together, and and, uh, they just became close, close friends. Big old guy. Big old guy. And whenever I would see him, he was just so kind to me and nice and had a great sense of humor. But whenever we would part, he would look back at me and say, Son, don't give up till you go up. I love that. Son, don't give up till you go up. I'll never forget. I can still hear J.V. Bottom's voice. Don't give up till you go up. And that's what he calls you and me to do. There's no reason to give up now. He's with us through all the deserts. One day we will all indeed get to the Garden of Gardens. Look at the last page of the book of Revelation. It's going to be good. It's figurative, I know. It's figurative language there, spiritual language. But it just says we cannot even begin to fathom how incredible it's going to be. We can savor that now and not give up now, but get after it until we go up, so to speak. Now, I would like for us to close with prayer, then we'll have a moment of invitation. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Uh, Thank you for this day. Thank you that you have challenged us uh, even 
As we walk through the desert, you are there. Even if we hit rock bottom, you're there. It's solid. And you will help us journey through it and empower us along the way to be even better servants, better ministers. And not just that, even in the darkest of times, we can savor how incredible eternity will be. We thank you for that. We pray for anyone in here who's considering that even now, maybe someone who doesn't even know you personally. We pray for those who are especially going through a desert moment in their own lives. Be with them particularly. And if there's any way any of the rest of us can be servants to them, scarred servants, help us to do just that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.